state capital. This is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, here we go. Uh, Drive Time Lincoln, um, August 16th. Um, it's a Tuesday. It's 71 outside. Um, feels like 71. I love saying that every time. Um, just because it's like, well, what's it feel like? Um, you know, because we have humidity here. And so sometimes it can feel a lot worse. Well, I was going to say, now that we're not really in a heat wave right now, I go outside and it may feel like 71, but I feel like it's in like the 50s or 60s because I'm just so used to warmer temperatures. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm a little chilly right now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I, I will say it did feel, I was outside most of the day, it, it did feel a little chillier than normal, yeah. but I think it's because you're used to the summer heat, and now we have the overcast and a little rain, so it's just, you know, 70s, it's nice, but it does feel a little chilly. Oh, I'm not bitching. I'm not saying, bitching. Yeah, no, if this was like last March or April, and it's se- like 71, I'll be, oh man, it's so warm out here, this is great, but... <laughs> Not after we are experienced with as much heat as we've had lately. Yeah, lots to talk about uh, with school starting back up yesterday and, and today. I think uh, if you're in LPS, most all of your kids are, are back in school now. Um, always fun times. Um, a lot to talk about there uh, on some different subjects. Don't know if we'll get to it today, but I'm very aware of, of some of the frustration with parents, as I have been since taking this show. Parents of LPS, you are some of the best listeners um, and sources of information, and, and both great things going on at LPS and, and things you're concerned about. Um, and so uh, we might go down that line. Um, hopefully uh, getting some late coordination with uh, Lisa Knopp, a professor of English at the University of Nebraska-Omaha um having her call in today to discuss uh her new book uh from your friend Carrie Dean Letters from Nebraska's Death Row. Um it's a memoir and a biography. Um Lisa essentially um visited Nebraska's Death Row and other death penalty uh abolitionists and she became acquainted with one of the inmates. Um over twenty three years through visits, phone calls and letters uh, she developed uh, a friendship between herself and uh, Carrie Dean Moore, who murdered two cab drivers in 1979, in which he was executed by lethal injection in 2018. So um, we are working to get her on today at some point in the show and look forward to that. Um, it, it's a kind of a fascinating subject, right? Not just... Anybody who's involved in murders but is on death row and then um, strikes up a relationship, however it comes about, with someone, um, in this case, Lisa Knopp, you know, a professor at UNO of English, and her ability, of course, to write about it or to document it and then turn it around and really create a unique story. There can't be that many of these stories or insights right, wrong or indifferent out there. Um, And so, you know, looking forward to having her call in today. And then if we don't get to it today, you know, we'll bump her another day, but I I think we will get it done. I know some of you on the text line have asked about uh, estimates of letters that she's written 
and things like that. So um, I will definitely try to get to that uh, if we get her on here. Some of the uh, interesting stuff, I thought Johnny Johnny asked me a question. Geez, now I'm not sure I should say this question. But Johnny asked me, was I surprised? I'm going to dime you out here. He said before the show, uh, are you surprised there wasn't a mass mandate before school? Um, the answer, honest, is yes. I, I, I was and am actually surprised. Now, without going into it and getting crazy, I think everyone knows where I stand and a vast majority of people in Lincoln and Lancaster County on masks and their effectiveness. And also, I think a year or two into it, we've learned a lot more, not necessarily data-driven, although there's more data when you can study a population that's wearing masks, but we all have learned more common sense, pros and cons, to it, which has always been my original position, which is, you know, that it is a choice and it is a risk assessment. And and I think that's good. But yes, I am surprised, Lincoln and Lancaster County. Um, I... I know that the COVID risk style, and I guess on a personal level, maybe I'm like a lot of you. Uh, I'm kind of frustrated when I look to news sources, both nationally and locally, and there's kind of that giant COVID update or that especially death, you know, two deaths. Um, I, I'm just not sure why this one has is continually rooted in our psyche. Um, and, and I, I sure hope going forward, I guess what I'm going to say, whether it be any kind of respiratory virus or God forbid monkey pox, I, I hope we handle it better as a society than we did COVID. Um, but I can't answer that for you, Lincoln. Yes, I am surprised, but I'm happy at the same time. I know that the COVID risk style remains in the low orange for the sixth consecutive week. I am not going to go in unless things go crazy into the detailed numbers um, like I did last year because it's very difficult to understand what's the threshold for which the masks come on or they don't come on. Um, and so I, I just know we're in the low orange and it had been trending up and now it's kind of stuck in low orange and I do know and was a little worried when city officials have to wear their masks, but I've seen plenty of not being political here, folks, but I've seen plenty of city officials, including the people that make these decisions, you know, out in public, taking pictures without their mask on. So I, I'm I'm not sure what kind of a thing it is when you say, hey, city officials have to wear their mask. Uh but then there's either A, no enforcement action to it, or B, there's exceptions to policies. Um and I'm and I'm clearly I'm being honest, I don't I don't know what type of message that sends. I don't I don't know how <laughs> we could say city officials have to have their mask on, but then we go on TV and we go into pictures and we don't have our masks on. <laughs> like I don't know. That just didn't happen in the United States military. If you if you said, hey, guys, we're changing our uniform and you we have to wear this uniform, then by God, the people that had to make that decision and enforce that decision were the first ones to do it. And so we're just in this weird thing. I don't want to nuke it. And I probably already did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Johnny, what did you think? Did you think they were going to be back?
I was a little worried, but I was I was wanting to remain keeping my confidence that we weren't going to have him back. And uh, I mean, we had the mayor on the morning show a few weeks ago when I was covering here, and you know, she said it wasn't something that was really being talked about at that moment. And so I I just kept on hoping. And so right now I'm I'm just I'm happy that they're not back. How about any wrestling stuff coming up? Well, MWA has a show this Friday. Oh, and yep. So uh, I will. I won't be here because um, I'll be resuming my commissioner and ring announcer roles there. So uh, I will not be here Friday as well. Doug Fitzgerald. Doug Fitzgerald's got it. And Caleb Henry. And Caleb. I Caleb Henry. Yes, without a doubt. The other thing I didn't hear, but maybe there has been. Um, I'll go back to Lincoln. I hope you're excited about the new uh, police pay structure, as well as some of the other benefits going out to uh, fire and rescue and EMS. I think that's great for the city. And that is something that we should all celebrate without a doubt. Um, One of the things that, you know, when I look through the blotter, literally the police blotter, it, it, I mean, I haven't looked. I could pull it, but, um, and I probably will. It just seems like there's just been more shootings. It's like people not getting killed, thank God, but there's just been more shootings. And, and that's always scary to me. Um, cause I look at that as a crime that could go, you know, one way or the other, right? If, if it's just shootings, nobody's dead. We just kind of report it and you read, oh, there were shootings. Well, if two of those bullets hit somebody in the head, you know, those would be two homicides. Um, and, you know, depending on uh, who it is, where it's at, if it's two little kids, right, that that creates a different uh, impetus on our city. But in the end of the day, my point is I, I'm really glad to hear about that. And um, we're going to continue to roll, you know, with that as far as we're trending in the right way. Cops are getting money. There's a plan. We're realizing that we need to fund our cops and we need to expand our police force. And I think that's a great thing. Another thing that we passed over just because uh, we had the uh, NU women golfers in yesterday was the anniversary of the Afghanistan um, withdrawal, if you want to call it that, um, yesterday. And as we all know, we lost a Nebraskan in that action, um, Corporal Dagan Page. and I think it's it's weird with COVID because that feels both like it was a long time ago and it was just very recent. And my thought is it's kind of it's going to go down as a bad event in American history. It's going to go down as a as a bad military historical lessons learned. I think that what we'll never truly understand. And I think it's unfortunate is that oftentimes the political leaders, as you know, make the decisions from which then the military executes these things. Um, and it can look cut and dry that the military is trained, ready, equipped, certainly, man, you know, funded well in our country and that they should be able to just, you know, pull off anything. But that's that's not the case. We, you know, our nation and our foreign policy is uh, intrinsically linked with our domestic elected officials, 
our president, um, as well as, you know, our State Department and our allies overseas. And it was handled badly. The withdrawal from Afghanistan, I think everybody was looking forward to that. Even the former president, if you're into politics, um, was negotiating to get that done. And, you know, it was conditions based. And then it appears, you know, the Biden administration kind of wanted to get it done sooner than later. And that had some consequences um, and bad consequences, um, not catastrophic to where we can't recover, but very bad consequences. And I think maybe a sign of things to come, right, as we've gone into a recession, as many people would say, you know, the former president was really divisive and we've got to stop that. And I would say it's more divisive now with Democrats in charge in Washington than previously now it takes two to tango um but tied up in that is to go back to afghanistan and the withdrawal of a very long war um and long mission um that didn't end in success and that's the thing that as a citizen now i i'm very much interested in and i hope you are which is what were the political lessons learned there i mean we do all kinds of hearings, you know, whether it's the January 6th hearing, whether it's the steroids and baseball hearing, whether it's uh, this impeachment or that impeachment. Um, what was a decision tree there, right, that caused one of the most catastrophic withdrawals in modern military history um, that just kind of came and went? Uh, we. Americans, we, Washington, needs to learn from that. We can't have these things. And at the same time, it's not just good enough that we, you know, completely say, oh, we're not getting involved in anything. Now, my point is, is that we know we'll have to get involved in something in the future. And while I'm absolutely about us not putting boots on the ground in the Ukraine, I'm also all about us doing what we've got to do to keep that conflict regional. So, you know, maybe that one passed you by. Maybe not. Well, I'll get into school. We're going to try to get uh, Lisa Knopp. We're just coordinating in a little back and forth because she's actually not in studio. Uh, so we'll try to get her on second segment here um, in the back half. Um, but, yeah, with school for whatever Wednesday tomorrow, maybe call in uh, with a lot of things. I, I'm aware of... I'm going to call it the uh, mandatory kind of continuing education for teachers that has kind of created a firestorm on Twitter and other places um, somewhat surrounding um, trans and, and the treatment of everybody understanding that, you know, puberty blockers is is what's been getting everybody on social media. Um, and then that kind of spins into some of the books we've talked about and whether they're age appropriate to be in school. And so, yes, I mean, LPS held a held a continuing education for teachers and, and the guest um, host was not. Well, seems like they were well received there and it's LPS's um, right to bring in who they want. But as that information got out, it's really fired up some parents. And I think. 
I've said it before, and it sounds like a broken record, but when it comes to school board, you know, if you have issues, address it with the school, the school board, peacefully make your points, realize that some of this in today's culture is politicized, and not much is going to change unless leadership changes, which brings us back to voting, right? Um, That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a watchful eye or say, I don't agree with this. Um, But at the same time, I think the other thing we can do where we're taking back power and control is being able to then educate your kids on what's going on and, and, and how as a family you believe on certain issues, you know, to fight against what can be at times extremist teachers or teachers not exactly teaching the curriculum, if that makes sense. Okay, 1,499.3 KLIM. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, we're working hard for you to get uh, Lisa Knopp on uh, with her newest book, uh, Your Friend, Carrie Dean, Letters from Nebraska's Death Row. It's a memoir, a biography about her time really over 23 years with one of... Uh, one of our death row folks, Kerry Dean Moore, who had murdered uh, two Omaha cab drivers in 1979, and he was executed by lethal injection in 2018. Um, we're having some calm issues right now, but we'll continue to work through them. Um, so we'll continue to do that. If we don't get her, maybe we'll open the call line second segment. Uh, one of the good news story I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it again is the Tunnels for Towers uh, Lincoln fundraiser, uh, which is a 5K walk and run on. August 27th at Holmes Park. Um, Want to give a shout out to the Herrera family and Melissa Wood, uh, who is also family, but coordinating for them. Uh, there is still time to register and donate. And if you'll recall, um, when they came in the studio a few weeks back, um, they were at about $34,000 and 300 participants. And so I started saying the 50,500 participants. Folks, we are so close. We're at $49,300 and over 450 participants, right? We're so close. Now, fair enough, I haven't donated yet, but I'm going to donate, so I know we're going to get darn close to that number. But just a few more people out there, if you can sign up, right, sign up, go to Tunnels for Towers, Lincoln, on Facebook, and then it, you'll have a link. Sign up right there. It'll take you to their website. You can sign up to walk, run in this event and also donate anything. Let's get to 50,500 participants. All right. We as a community are killing it. It's not just supporting the Herrera family. It's supporting law enforcement, military, and everybody. We are paying it forward as a town, and we can thank the Herreras and Melissa Wood for that. 1,499.3 K. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, folks, I don't think I said it's Jack Riggins. I am the host of Drive Time Lincoln, and Johnny Cadillac is producing the show. Right, we got off to a rough start that first segment, coordinating everything, but we got it going on now. Uh, before I get to our next guest, uh, professor of English at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, Lisa Knopp, and author... Um, I do want to say, I didn't forget that it is uh, Twitter Tuesday. I didn't forget, and so maybe stow this one for whatever Wednesday tomorrow when we have free open call lines. Um, this one comes from Tom Cotton, the uh, Arkansas, I believe, representative in Congress. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have 87,000 more Marines than 87,000 more IRS agents. Well, I would agree. I think that we wouldn't have, well, the Marines probably could pull off adding that many Marines and they'd stay the most efficient fighting force in the world and the standard would be high. So I definitely think the Marines could pull that off. And yes, I would rather want want more Marines too. But the main thing it brought out to me was how in the world can our IRS, I guess, be that understaffed or that bad at their jobs that they need 87,000 more agents. I'm just saying, I haven't looked at the data. I don't exactly know why. I just know, Hey, we're, we're hiring that many more. Um, I mean, think about that as a company. Like, what do you, what do you do if you don't change your company and you're just like, we need an influx of 87,000 more people now. Um, I don't know. People are going to agree with it. People aren't going to agree with it. Uh, But I've got a good story here that I'm looking forward to. Um, Author um, of From Your Friend, Carrie Dean, Letters from Nebraska's Death Row. Uh, Professor Knopp, welcome to Drive Time Lincoln. Hello, Jack. How are you? Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? No. Yeah, exactly, because on this show, we always mess up names. Nobody, my whole life, I've had to tell people the K is sounded. It's Knopp. It's so Knopp. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I have met another Knopp, and I should have known that. There's no doubt about it. Well, thanks for coming on, and obviously, I've I've told the listeners, this is a very interesting, there can't be too many stories like this one that you've written about. So give us a little background on yourself first and kind of how this came about um, and then eventually got pinned into a book. Yeah, yeah, it is an extraordinary experience. It's one that I certainly never expected to have in this life. Um, I'm a writer and I have um, six other books. They're all creative nonfiction. And usually I would write nature place that that based autobiographical essays, but um, this book was very different, and um, the experience, I was friends with Carrie Dean Moore, who was executed by the state of Nebraska in 2018 for two murders he committed in 1979. We were friends for 23 years. Um, 
And in fact, toward the end of his life, when I knew he would not be fighting his execution, I told him there really needed to be a book written about him because he was a person that had changed in really profound ways and found ways to be of service to people both in and out of the penitentiary. And I said, this is a story that people need. And he said, I don't want to write it. And I said, do you want to be a co-author? And he said, no. Um, He said, but I will help you. I will help you write the book. I will give you any information you need. And so the last summer of his life, I wrote this book as fast as I could. Um, Kind of a sloppy copy is what elementary kids might call it. Just writing it just to see what was there. And I gave him an annotated table of contents, and we talked to the chapters, um, what his hopes were for the chapters. We talked about ethical issues, like other people on death row, who can I write about, who shouldn't I write about, family members. Um, we, we went over everything, and um, he gave me his blessings, and he wrote an afterword to the book. The only thing, we didn't know how the book was going to turn out at that point. And the annotated table of contents that I showed him, I was calling the last chapter 60, because that would have been his age if he was executed or the execution was stayed. Uh And he had had eight execution dates in his life, and seven of them had been stayed. Some of those he fought, and some of those he didn't. Um, and, And I thought that last summer of his life, there was, oh, maybe a 50-50 chance he would get a stay, um, but he didn't and was executed, and so I wrote an entirely different last chapter for the book. Now, now, how did you come upon him mm-hmm. to begin this process of what probably what started as visitation and, and outreach, or were you aware of his situation before, because I assume that, as you have said, you know, there was kind of a friendship. But walk us through the very beginnings before and how you got, um, how you guys came together. Okay, good question and a pretty important one. At that time, um, I was part of Nebraskans Against the Death Penalty. And I had been at the penitentiary uh, vigiling on the night of Willie Ote's execution. Okay. Um, he was the first person executed since um, Harold Starkweather. And after that execution, there was um, a local activist here in Lincoln. Some of us who had protested that gathered at a church to kind of mourn and strategize. And a local activist challenged us to meet somebody on death row so that the issue had a human face. It yeah, was, it became face. more personal, probably. Exactly. And I thought, oh, brother, I don't want to do this. But I signed up for a visit. Um, Nebraskans Against the Death Penalty at that time went twice a year. And they were there for, I think, two days in a row because they could only meet with half the men on one day and half the others. So I signed up to go to one. And I thought, I'll meet this duty and check it off my book. And I was. And I really enjoyed the camaraderie of the inmates and the other um death penalty abolitionist. And Terry Dean Moore was not there at that time. His death penalty had been thrown out, and he was in Omaha being resentenced. And he got a 
another death penalty. Okay. So I didn't meet him at that point, but I went back to the second visit six months later, and he was there, and um, I just liked him. He seemed really frank and sincere, and um, he asked me if I was a Christian, and I said yes, and he said, good. He said, I have a pastor who comes every week, and this man was very, very old. He couldn't drive anymore. He was ill. He had to retire, and... Uh, Carrie asked me if I would help him find a new pastor. And so I asked at my church, and there was a man at my church, George Isley, who said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go out twice a month and see him. And then the couple who pastored our church said, we'll go when we can. At that point, I was moving to Illinois for a job. I came back three years later but um, after I got this set up for Carrie Dean, we were pen pals. I couldn't say, sure, you know, sure. I really don't want to be friends with somebody on death row or somebody who might be executed. We were friends. So um, we kept writing, and sometimes we just talk on the phone. And then when I moved back to Illinois, I joined the visitation team. And um, over the next 20 years, that took different forms. Um, George moved away, the pastoral couple moved away, and I went when I could. Um, and then when the prison went down to Tecumseh, uh, Carrie Dean started a death row Bible study. And there had to be a pastor who would sponsor it. And um, I think my job in life is to find pastors for him. I found um, two others. Um, so Pastor David Orr sponsored it for quite a while, and then Bob Bryant sponsored it for quite a while. And I would go down when I could to participate in the Death Row Bible Study, which was really amazing to hear how people on Death Row read the Bible story. Sure. Um, I was always surprised and wished that I could go more. So um, that's that's the story. Yeah. Um, he did ask me to witness his execution. Um, I received that request in a letter, and I sat down and cried about it. And then I called my daughter, and she said, he's your friend. You're telling me. Okay. I'm glad you can be the parent in this situation. And then I noticed that I had another letter from him. Two letters arrived on the same day. They were written different days. The first one asked me to witness the execution. He could have three people, and I would, and a pastor, Pastor Bob Bryan, and I would be one of the three. But then the, the second letter, um, his twin brother's niece wanted to be there for the execution. He said, would you step aside for her? And I, I said, of course. You know, mm. I was thinking he would have more family there. Yeah. Um, but I did get to um, visit him the last three days of his life before the execution. And... So- um, so yeah, can ahead. I ask, in the evolution of your relationship, mm-hmm, kind of from mm-hmm. start to finish, obviously, uh, you know, going in death row and, and you have feelings about that that kind of brought you to him, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. being against death row. But from the human perspective, what did you learn about somebody in their capacity, you know, living imprisoned and, and eventually leading to death row? Kind of give me that evolution of, yeah, of him. And we have until 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> we, That's a, it's a big question. His evolution 
Maybe the top couple highlights. Okay. I will say that um, he was utterly transformed by his faith in God's promises. Enough so that it was really hard for me to believe that this person had ever committed murder. Mm -hmm. Um, He had changed that much. The last summer of his life, I said, we've got to talk about these murders. You know, he had always mentioned them, but we've really got to dig in for the book. And it was very surprising. It was hard for me to say that about him because, you know, the person I knew was an exemplary Christian, and he found many ways to be of service to people. Um, A hard thing in the friendship is that some of the execution dates he did not like. Um, he was tired of being there, and he really believed that God was calling him home. Mm-hmm. And my job, um, he said, do what you need to. You know, if you want to write letters, if you want to try to convince um, politicians, go ahead and do that. You can pray what you want to. He said our prayers would probably be canceling each other out. Um, do whatever you need to. Um, and so I did some of that, but I also really tried to support him and just, sure. um, this is your decision. I have no idea what it's like to be in your position, um, but I will support you. And so that was a challenge. It was really interesting to read his letters to see how he grappled with that mm. um, and how his faith informed that decision. And his concern for the family. Sometimes he would, um, he had a twin brother he was very close to, and there were times that he did fight the execution because he knew his twin brother needed him. Um, so I learned a lot from him watching, watching that and just this rock-solid faith of his. It was, it was a privilege to be near that. Certainly to have... Um the faith, I think that's good for any human being, um, whatever it may be. Do you think, I, I have to assume, given how you've described it, not being intimately familiar with the situation, that he acknowledged kind of the wrongdoing of the murders. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it sounds like trying to live, you know, an honorable Christian life and helping others, you know, kind of as a, I don't want to say a self penance. I mean, he was in jail and on death row, but kind of, um, kind of an awakening to grow from the horrible mistake because I, I, people make mistakes and some are more horrific than others. Some are more public than Mm -hmm. others, but it Mm -hmm. sounds like he, he learned or acknowledged that as he moved through life. Um, yes. Um, shortly after the murders, he did confess to them. Okay. And he never, um, never did I, he never told me that there was anything wrong with the sentence that he got. Yeah. And in fact, he, um, was, he felt that there was a time and place for, the, for a death penalty. Um, I never really ask him details about that. That's one of many things I wish I had. Right. Like what situation, which, and when is it not? But um, I never heard him say that he felt his sentence was wrong. Yeah. And he never um, shied away from responsibility. Yeah. And I, 
You know, I don't know what his life would have been like had he not been in prison, but I do think that he just turned completely to the Bible, to faith, to Christian volunteers who are coming into the prison. Um, that became his education. That became his therapy. That became everything. Yeah. Well, you know what and I... Also became, go ahead. Well, what I take away, and I try to talk with the audience a lot about mistakes and then learning and growing, and even though a mistake that's catastrophic that leads to loss of life and then imprisonment, um, mm-hmm. it, it it sounds to me like what you said. You know, if you're able to take responsibility, understand the situation, and accept it, and move forward, even though every one of us would say we wouldn't want to do that in prison or mm-hmm. on death row, um, but still, it sounds like his life can be used as an example of how you move through mistakes and challenges um, to live with, with some sort of honor and improvement as you go through this life. Yep. And you know, you just, what you just said, that's what I try to do in this book. I, I cool. quote from his leaders. I talk about the advice he gave me, the advice he gave my kids, other people I know. Um, there is no situation in life where we can't, we can't become our best, a better self. Yeah, let me let me ask you. We have a couple of minutes. Let me ask you uh, one mm-hmm. more question because in kind of the preview to the book, um, you talk about um, who are you, uh, meaning what did you learn, and through this uh, journey, this experience, it, it sounds like mm-hmm. it also made you uh, clearly better person. But what did you really learn in this twenty three year relationship and writing the book about yourself? Well. Um he really inspired me spiritually. Um, I count Carrie Dean Moore as one of my great spiritual teachers in life. And um, I think one of the things that impressed me about him is that he was just really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you liked it or you didn't. And I think there are some people that maybe friendships didn't develop because, or relationships because he was, he was frank with them about everything. And, and that was pretty inspiring. And um, just, just the way he, he cared for people, that inspired me. He gave me a lot of advice over the years. And of course, like most people, I take advice if it kind of aligns with what I wanted to do anyway. Sure. Um, but, but I always listen to what he said. I think in another life he may, he would have made a really good maybe um, counselor, yeah, or mental health therapist or pastor. He he really had a heart for helping leading people through um, through their issues. Um, what else I learned? I really like this kind of writing, taking um, some kind of issue and giving it a human face. And I think I would like to write another book like this about a different issue that I'm passionate about. Well, uh, Professor mm-hmm. Knopp, uh, thank you. And where can people find your book as it begins to come out? Okay, well, Jack, you're going to get one in your mailbox. Um, <laughs> thank you. And then um, I am doing a book signing at Barnes & Noble South Point September 3rd. That's a Saturday on Labor Day weekend from 2 to 3. So um, you can buy a book there, or you can just come in and not buy a book and talk to me. Um, you can buy them on my website, Amazon. I know Indigo Bridge is carrying them here in town. Um, you can go directly to the publisher, Cascade Books. 
So, and there are probably other places in town where you can get them too. I, I just know for a fact that Indigo Bridge, and I love supporting small businesses. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on Drive Time Lincoln. Thank you, Jack. Good questions, and thanks for listening. You betcha. All right, we'll come on right back, finish the show, 1499.3. All right, that's it. Drive Time Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN.